and to see them now and not be able to shake hands or give them a hug knowing what they've been going through and and like and and the like it's so difficult and you do miss that element of um of kind of closeness really i i, I suppose with 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 the with with the guys and um i think it loses an aspect of um of a group like that as 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 strange as it probably sounds to a lot of people but when you lose that kind of personal aspect of being able to shake someone's hand give them a hug um as blokes like we miss I, I think we miss that and i think there's an element a small element of that 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 misses that from the from from the group really in terms of feeling connected and part of part of a community Welcome to the show, I'm Joe Halton. On the Guild of Dad show, we unwrap weekly the incredible stories, skills and expertise of the world's most captivating dads and experts, along with topics that will captivate you. Fascinating individuals, writers, entrepreneurs and ultra-athletes, professors, psychologists and today, I follow up last week's conversation about postnatal depression with another dad who has gone through the same experience. How it first started, the journey he went on, his views on antidepressants and self-care, and the power of finding your tribe of men. Every conversation we have translates the experience and expertise of our guests into practical knowledge you can use to better understand yourself as a dad, and in the process, improve your physical health, mental health, relationships, career, and the way you show up to the world as a role model to the next generation. We also cover tricky subjects from all angles and viewpoints to give you a new and different perspective. Today is my second conversation around the subject of postnatal depression and men's mental health recently, but even more so than that, self-care. The process by which you begin to learn about yourself, your own mind, and the ability to manage strong emotions and come out the other side. My guest today is mental health trainer, speaker, and campaigner, together with a facilitator at Andy's Man Club, Dan Rowe. We go into how lockdown measures have taken their toll on the mental health of men and dads and some powerful tools that both Dan and I use in order to process thought and emotion to get it out of our heads. The concept of dads wanting to fix stuff that is out of their control and how this creates torment and the way in which we can allow our lives to go onto autopilot We also discuss the power of legacy, having purpose and meaning in our own lives, and Dan tells me about his story of postnatal depression and suicide attempts. More importantly than that, I discuss with Dan how he came back from that by radically changing his life using the tools we discuss and finding his tribe of other men. If you ever wonder how some of my amazing guests get to where they are in life, the athletes, the entrepreneurs, those making a massive impact on the world, I can tell you that pretty much all of them follow a very deliberate plan or system of some kind. This is exactly what I do too, and I'm revealing how you can implement a plan and system in your own life completely free. In my ebook, The Dad Blueprint, over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. Incidentally, many of the people I interview on this show will be leveraging, leveraging even the power of similar systems to radically level up their lives and transform into the men and dad they always wanted to be. So you will be in amazing company. And now, to my conversation with Dan Rowe. Before we came on air, we were discussing the different 
you know, lockdown measures and stuff and that that we're all uh, facing at this uh, quite, kind of quite interesting time for uh, all of us in the UK right now. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly going to be a discussion around uh, mental health that's definitely worth having with what is going on at the moment, that is for sure. Yeah, I think um, the, the biggest thing we've just been comparing both good and not so good kind of experiences, even in the last sort of 24 hours, haven't we? And I think um, the, the the biggest challenge, I think, for people's, I suppose, mental health really can be um, getting that hope. You, you've seen as, as depending on what part of the country you're in, you've gone up and down tiers and you've been allowed to do stuff and then you haven't been allowed to do stuff. And I think it's a natural instinct that once you're allowed to do something, you don't think that that's going to be taken away again. Mm-hmm. So I, I think going into another national lockdown as, as as we've kind of gone into in the in the last 24 hours or so it, it's just that realization of, of taking maybe that little bit of hope about and and i've certainly seen through um andy's man club and, and people that i kind of liaise with that um that there's been a rise in people struggling even in the, in the last 24 hours really mm, yeah and it's interesting you talk about hope because funny enough i walked past my daughter on the computer this morning uh working from home and their headmaster of their secondary school had done a, a video to the pupils, you know, and he was talking about, you know, having that hope that things will get back to normal and stuff. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, you know, we, we, you and me have both got a sort of common interest in the work of Victor Frankel. And, you know, he makes a point of, you know, how how you can react in the circumstances to something no matter how bad the circumstances are that you that you have ultimate kind of dominion over your own thoughts and how you react to those circumstances and you know and I think that I think one of the things that one of the most powerful things I think at the moment is to is for people to kind of work out what is in their control and what isn't in their control because I think that with the news and the noise that's going on at the minute it's easy to kind of get down this rabbit hole of stressing about stuff that you have no control over whatsoever. But there are actually a lot of things that you can control in terms of, you know, how you show up and how you conduct yourself. And, you know, there is, there are many things that are in your control right now. Yeah. It's an exercise that I do quite a lot. Um, actually both from a personal point of view and a professional point of view is, um, uh, on a piece of A4 paper, um, I, I draw three circles, um, circle in the middle, one a bit bigger around it, and then a, another one that's wider. And it's kind of a brain dumping exercise, if you like. And everything that's going on in my brain, everything that's going on um, uh, around me and, and within that, I place all these things, all these, all these actions into three circles. So the inner circle is my circle of control. So what that have I got going on? that I can physically control myself. The next ring round is what can I influence? Maybe what can't I control? I haven't got direct responsibility for that. Um, but what can I influence? So there, there I'm, I'm, I'm listing a, a number of things there that, I'm, that I can get influence. And then probably the most important one, certainly for me, is is everything else. And it's literally, I call it the every, it is everything else. So everything else do i have control over it no do i have influence over it no right okay let's write it down because i think it's really important a big advocate of getting stuff out of your head and certainly out of my head 
Um, I write it down. I have a look. It's a very visual aid then. Right, okay, I've got this circle, right? These are the things I can control. So they're the first things I am concentrating on because I can physically can control that and control the outcomes of that. The next thing is, right, okay, what can I influence? Right, okay, well, I'll get onto, I'll get onto those sort of things as, as well. And then everything else you, you put to one side, like I can't control it, I can't influence it. I'm not going to worry about it, but I've acknowledged that it's there. I've acknowledged that it's, it's bothering me. I've acknowledged that it's it's in my brain, it's it's in my thoughts, and it might be causing me concern. But there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. Mm. So let's put that to one side and getting it out of there. I suppose realigns the focus, then, doesn't it, in terms of what you've got on, whether that it's that hour, whether it's that half a day, or that day, or that week, or month, or whatever the time frame is. I find it a really, really useful exercise when, especially when we get bombarded with. Um, sort of huge amounts of information about changes and oh, might as well sort of say about the, the, the kind of lockdown i'm self-employed my partner works for the nhs my i've got a five-year-old son who lives between mine mine and his mum's house she's just started a new job the schools were closing all these kind of things that were going on that it's quite easy to get and I spent probably five minutes going, my God, what am I going to do? My head's going mad and I'm starting to get a headache and I'm flustered and I'm stressed and all these kind of things. My shoulders are getting tight. I'm feeling like really annoyed. I've realized that for the last 15 minutes, I've sat on my computer screen and I've literally not done a thing. And I can tell that I've not done a thing is because the screensavers come on and I'm kind of going there and I can feel like my head's about to explode because everything's going on on there. And then I just take myself back, do do that exercise, do that exercise, right? Okay, what can I control? What can I influence? And what can I, and then within the next half an hour, I've sorted my son out with being able to 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 go to go to school. I'm able to support my partner who's working 13 hour shifts in in the, in the NHS. To an extent, I can support my son's mum who's just started a new job. Um, because we're still on uncle terms and I think it's really important that she's that, that I can support her in her new job with regards to our son as well I've sorted the nursery out and all these kind of different bits whereas for 15 minutes I, I felt like my head was going to explode yeah. but just taking being able to take that step back and like um like you say we, we share the thing with Victor Frankl and there's another book that I've just read which I absolutely love is a guy it's by a guy called um Paul McGee and his books um called Sumo and it stands for short, move on. And it's fantastic. It's written very differently to Victor Frankl's book. But a lot of what he talks about in there is how do you control what you can control and release every, and release everything else. And how you look at that circumstance um, is, 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 really, is really important mm. in terms of the outcome as well. Yeah. And that circle exercise, do you do, is that something you, because that's really powerful. Do you do that on like a daily basis or do you do it weekly or just as and when you need to? No, as, as, and, when I, as and when I need to really. Um, I, I think, um, I suppose like like a lot of people, I, I quite like lists. I, I like to write to-do lists. Um, to the to the right-hand side of me, I've got a big whiteboard that's up on um, on the on the wall there that that's got a, a load of information um, kind of in there. So I'm kind of detailed. That the one thing I'm always conscious about, um, and this has come from when I had a, a really kind of tough time with my own poor mental health, and one of the coping strategies that I found really worked for me was how can I most effectively get the information out of my head because I was always one that would store everything in, in my head and feel like everything was going at 
100 miles an hour. I was in that washing machine and everything was spinning around. I couldn't grab hold of one thought for long enough to deal with it. And it just meant that I would go from being in a in a good place to in a really bad place really, really quickly, mm-hmm. damagingly quickly. Um, so now that I'm able to to understand that when I get into that situation, as I said, like staring at a computer screen and realizing that your screensaver's on, you've not actually done anything for 15 minutes. And then you kind of take that step back and go, okay, there's a lot going on now. There's a lot of, I've been given a lot of information here. Let's get it out. Let's do that exercise. So I probably do that maybe once a month. Mm. Um, it, it kind of really depends on the, it really depends on the situation, but it's something I enjoy doing. I, I really enjoy, I find it really um, therapeutic, I suppose, in a, in a, in a way. It's a, it's a really enjoyable, uh, actually, experience Yeah. To, to, to segregate what you're thinking. Yeah, and I think it plays into the whole, you know, I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, is this idea of men wanting to fix stuff and this and, and this, the torment we go through as men wanting to fix stuff that we can't fix or trying mm. to trying to play with stuff in our heads and think, oh, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? And and then all the stuff that's unfixable gets washed in with all the stuff that's fixable and you just end up just like thinking thinking yourself to death almost. And it's kind of, mm. and it's a really sort of, it's an abstract thing, but kind of sort of plays into kind of what, you know, what you're saying of getting stuff out onto a piece of paper. One of my uh, previous guests, uh, John Gray, uh, he's really kind of keen on the whole journaling stuff, you know, particularly if you, you're, you've got a conflict and, and you know, if you're, you've got strong emotions that you want to deal with, he, one of his things is men having their kind of cave time to journal stuff out. And I've, I've, I've dabbled in journaling. I'm, and, but one of my things for this first quarter of 2021 is to establish a journaling practice because I found that when I am stressed or if there's stuff that's kind of on my mind, it's a very powerful thing to do and the, the kind of the other thing that is that kind of adds an extra dimension to journaling is if you and this is a this is a kind of it sounds weird but if you almost imagine someone asking you questions sitting across from you so you start writing and you're like so what would someone s- sit across from me say well, how has your day been? So you write down how's your how's your how's your day been? Da, 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 da. I didn't feel that great because I, um, this didn't go to plan. What was someone sitting across from you say? They'd say, "Well, why didn't it go to plan?" So you write, "Well, because of this, this, and this, and this." Mm. And uh, do you think you've if you and and how did that make you feel? So you write down how did it make you feel? So it's imagining almost like a therapist sitting across from you yeah. asking you questions and that's a really powerful skill because once you get through i don't know say 10 or 15 questions of as if someone's sitting across from you and uh, could you you know stuff like could you look at that another way you know um uh is how important is this in the scheme of things you know it begins yeah. to kind of tease out these answers out of you that you mm. that you wouldn't otherwise wouldn't otherwise have and then you put it down and you go make a cup of tea or you go for a walk or whatever it's going to be and then you come back and you're like actually I don't, this, this hasn't got a hold over me in the same way as it did before. And it's a yeah. and it's similar, similar strategy to, to, to what you do, what you described with the circle exercise yeah. that you just getting, you're getting it out of your head. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that must be a really powerful self-reflective tool for you there, Joe, as well, because to have the ability to think 
what questions would I be asked if someone else was sat there? It's, it's, it's quite a challenging thing when you when you when you kind of think about it because at the mo- at that moment in time you, you you I suppose you're solely concentrating on what your thoughts are you you're solely concentrating on what's going on in your head so to be able to I think the the, the key aspect to both of those exercises is having the ability to take a step back from what's going on and that that's what I I never used to be able to do it was uh, I was like I said before about that, that kind of washing machine effect of you feel like you're going at hundred miles an hour, you can't stop. And it's taken a long, long time for me to, to continuously develop. And I imagine for, for you as well, Joe, to, to kind of work at it, to work really hard at when things are, are tough, the hardest thing to do is take a step back. And that's the most important thing. I think a lot of the, a lot of the time as well, especially yeah. if we're spiraling. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, I discussed this with previous guest uh, Mark, who I know you know of, and <laughs> I think there's two aspects of this where you kind of like there's the kind of the maintenance aspect of it, which is like the self care, if you like, and then there's the then there's kind of the what I would call the emergency aspect of it. So the maintenance self care bit is the the bit where you're kind of learning what you need to to keep you mm. on what I would call the straight and narrow. I don't mean it as straight and narrow, but that's the easiest way to kind of describe it. So you know, making sure you're eating, making sure you're getting your sleep and, you know, your kind of must-haves, your, like, non-negotiables and then you have, yeah. like, the emergency toolkit, which is when things are getting, you know, pretty stressed. How do I get this stuff out of my head? So you have the kind of maintenance side and the emergency bit, if that makes any sense. So that's the kind yeah. of way I look at it, sort of thing. So. Yeah. I, th- I think as, as well, kind of thinking about the, the, the period of time that we're in and... um I think I think about a, a, a friend of mine who's 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 going through a tough time at, at, at the moment, and naturally he he's not somebody that's probably been struggled with with any kind of issues with regards to to, to mental health. Certainly not for for, for kind of a long time. And I think we find, and this is kind of no disrespect to to, to to kind of him at all, but I think there's a lot of people that we go through life on autopilot. We go to work. We spend time with the family, we go and watch our football team, we go to the pub with our mates, we we do whatever it is that 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 kind of sees us through, that makes us smile, that makes us happy. We we probably don't tend to we don't spend too much time sitting back reflecting what impact am I having on the world, what impact am I having on my family, my friends? Um am I leaving a, a legacy almost, I, I suppose, and, and, and all this kind of stuff. We, we're, we're very much into the, the autopilot of let's just get through, let's live for the weekend, let's, let's do whatever that, that, that kind of is. And I think the one thing that, that's brought home for, for a lot of people through various lockdowns and various um, sort of liberties being restricted, if you, if you like, is we're having to take stock, aren't we? Well, we're having to, when, when we're told that we cannot do the things that we enjoy doing, the things that we've always enjoyed doing, the things that we've done for the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, however long that is, when we can't do that, we have to fill that void. And I think that is where people are really struggling Mm. because they don't, they've not necessarily, um, if I'd not gone through my mental health struggles, when my son was born, like I would have struggled through this lockdown, like no end. Absolutely. I would, but 
if it wasn't for the fact that I have already had that struggle and I've become really reflective and I've looked at things like um, how I can use gratitude, how I can use my three circles, how I can listen to podcasts, how I can be a guest on a podcast, how I can host a podcast, all these kind of different things that, that provide me a different element of joy and of meaning and fulfillment like I still love going to the pub. Don't get me wrong. I can't wait to go for a beer. I can't wait to go and watch live sport again. I can't wait for all these things, but they're an added benefit to what I've already got, which is I'm still finding fulfillment and meaning and purpose from my life on a daily basis because I've worked hard in the build up to this and obviously not knowing that all this was, was, was going to come about. And I, I think those that don't have that or don't know how to find that or have never looked for that, or never thought that they've had to look for that. I think those are the people that have probably, this has hit them harder mm-hmm. than, than, than a lot of people, uh, a lot of other people that may be further along that kind of, I suppose, almost spiritual journey, I guess. I'm not a, a big spiritual fan, I guess, in terms of the term, but I, I suppose in, in a way, and as, as Viktor Frankl says, like as soon as you've got your meaning, then, then you, you're kind of all good, really, aren't you? You, yeah. you, f- you find any way around yeah. as long as you've got your purpose. Yeah, I think the, and I think you've touched upon something there. I think the modern world encourages people to sedate themselves when they have feelings or emotions or sensations or whatever it is that is kind of it's kind of uncomfortable and and it's kind of it, it's it's a byproduct of a comfortable world that we've got right now, which is, which is that we've lived in abundance for a long period of time where it's, you, you know, you can get food delivered to your door. You don't really, you know, you could live in your house quite happily without seeing anyone and you could survive when, and lockdown is proven to people that they can do that. But I think the, the, the bad side of that is, is that we've never faced kind of discomfort in terms of, in terms of being comfortable with very, very strong emotions and seeing those as a normal part of human existence, because I think that, you know, and, and I'm as guilty of this when I was kind of, when I was kind of younger, you know, you'd go out and get smashed with your mates or you'd, or you'd, or you'd eat too much or you'd party too hard or you'd, you'd find some external stimuli to meditate the feelings that were going on inside you but i think that the difficulty for a lot of people with lockdowns is that for the first time in their lives it's like a you know like on the you know when you you when you're on the when you see someone on the stage at a theater and the spotlight is following them around the stage and they're trying to run they're trying to outrun the spotlight and then all of a sudden the spotlight fixes on them and there's nowhere to hide they've just got to stay there you know in this stark bright light until the spotlight and that's the kind of analogy i'd use for it that you're kind of there's nowhere to run there's nowhere to hide you've just kind of sort of got to face kind of face it down and if 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 you've not learned the, the tools or the skills in order to do that or you've not had or you've never encountered that it's it's it's, it's difficult and that's why i think it's hard for people but it's also a be- i think it's also a massive benefit of the lockdown in some respects because for all the people that listen to this or are watching this you will probably never go through something like this again your pair your grandparents probably never went through this again or you know, 
went through this or your parents will have never gone through this you know um okay your parents in their 60s and 70s might be going through this now but as a working age parent you know trying to hold down a job and trying to juggle all this stuff around they Mm. won't have gone through this you know so i think there are a lot of benefits in terms of people's resilience reflecting on their lives and Mm. i think people will grow from this definitely yeah, that, I mean, I hope so. I, I, I really hope so. I think there's a lot we can learn from the, from from this um, period. I, I think it. I, I constantly wind my uh, partner up about about saying, like, do you know what? The big part that I love about this is I love how simple life is. Like, I I I go for a walk in the morning. Uh, I work during the day. If like if I've got time at lunchtime, I might go for another walk or. And then I'll finish work. I'll do some exercise. And then, do you know what? If if I've had a tough day, I'll get out and do, I'll go for a walk. I'll read a book. I'll, I've watched, I've scrapped watching anything that really doesn't kind of take the interest on TV now for reading more of a book or, um, or watching something that's a bit more meaningful um, on Netflix or, or whatever that, that kind of thing is. And um, listening to podcasts and stuff like that and, like blessed, like she, like said, like she's doing a thirteen-hour shift now. Like when she comes home, the last thing that she wants me to do is tell her about a podcast that I absolutely love about the latest episode I've just listened to, and it was so inspiring. And this was the mindset and all this kind of stuff. And she's going, "Listen, just shut up. Like, please, please, just, just, just shut up." But there's loads of stuff to to, to kind of come out of uh, to, to kind of come out of this. I think, like we've got to think about our relationships, haven't we? Uh, around, um, how we, how, who's important to us? Who's, who, who we go in that extra mile for? Are we keeping in touch with the people that we really care about? Because in the vast majority of circumstances, we have more time on our hands now than we've ever had. We're not running necessarily in a rat race anymore, um, to, to, to a big extent. So we've got the time th- these, time-based excuses we can no longer use can we because we're generally we're fixed to our house like we're not going we're, we're not going anywhere so it's it's made me it's reinforced with me who's important in my life um and and I think um Steph as well as has probably thought about thought about that as we've as we've as we've gone on and um and, and what's important and, and also like looking forward, looking forward to what's next. Like I, I don't want to fall back into getting into what what we used to be like. I don't want to get back into rushing around a hundred mile an hour, going going everywhere, doing everything, and making sure that we're seeing the latest film or going to the latest show in the theatre or, or um, going for drinks every night with different friends just because we're in town, sort of thing. It, it's 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 a case of taking and learning from this experience what do what do we enjoy it mm. i'm absolutely loving the fact that i'm reading probably about a book a week <laughs> and i don't want that to i don't want that to stop i feel so much more kind of enriched from reading than i would do from watching i don't know friends for the 17th time on netflix or, or whatever whatever that you just tend to get stuck in when you don't have a lot of time do you, you just think well i've got 20 minutes i'll just chuck something else on well, why read a chapter of a book yeah yeah it's imp- it's it's that kind of i don't know i think i reached a i, re- I think i reached a stage uh, it must have been about five years ago i guess maybe a bit longer than that and 
and I, and I think sometimes men reach like like a, an impatience stage with TV. I will still watch TV. I still watch Netflix and stuff with with my wife and stuff. But I I can no longer sit down and kind of you know for if I'm bored I won't go and watch TV. I'll go and do something outside or I you know it, it doesn't it I don't find it a relaxing activity in the same way as I used to, if that makes any sense. Mm. And, um, I don't think, I don't find it relaxes me, you know, so in the same way as other, yeah. other things do really. So, but yeah. Has, has anything else changed for you then, Joe, during, I suppose in the last, coming up to 12 months really, aren't we? But nine months, uh, what, what else have you noticed in terms of from, from yourself? I have noticed because, so I, so I've got my day job and then uh, Guild of Dads, the podcast. I do. I fit in around you know evenings and weekends, and then also in the back in the back end of this year, I've been launching the Dad Circle, which is my brotherhood and mastermind for for dads. And so, in actual fact, I <laughs> I've been one of these weirdos that has been busier than ever in the sense that because I'm because I'm in the supply chain, I've still been working right the way through the mm. spring lockdown, right the way through the summer. So I've carried on working kind of business as usual with the exception of not seeing as many people um, mm. at the same time as as podcasting, at the same time as, as, as growing Guild of Dads as, as a podcast and, a, as, and as a movement, as a brand. And so I've kind of been, bu- I'm one of those like freaks that's been busier than ever. And actually I could probably do with like an eight day week and a 36 hour day sort of thing. Um, but in terms of actually it's, it's mainly been kind of seeing people we've just not been seeing people and I think the you know there was a obviously in the summer it relaxed a little bit but I think that's that's the I think the hardest thing is kind of not seeing people and and I think the I think the other thing as well is from a sort of biochemical point of view you know we know that kind of physical contact releases oxytocin which is the kind of what they call the hugging hormone it's what yeah. it's what's released when you hug a baby it's what's released when you hug your wife or your partner and stuff and that and mm. and i think that is i think the hardest thing i think personally you know even even with your mates not being able to shake their hands like small things like yeah. that it's that i think yeah. it's that that's the hardest thing I've found actually just sort of, you know, particularly when I walk up to friends that I know reasonably well and, you know, you can see they're having a hard time and you just want to kind of give them a hug and you can't do that. That's the hardest thing I've found actually, because I just think that comes from a, I just think that comes from our sort of, you know, our, our kind of our pair bonding and our, and, and, you know, from our evolution, as, as you know, mm. apes and chimpanzees that need to be kind of tactile with people and I, I think for me that's I think probably been the, the hardest thing not so much with my wife and kids because obviously I see them but it's more sort of your extended family or friends or whatever and stuff and that that you know people need an arm you know this is going to sound sappy but people need an arm putting around them sometimes people need a man mm. hug people need their hand shaking okay because yeah. that's kind of what makes us human beings and I think I think the physical isolation is almost w- worse than the kind of not actually being able to see anyone. It's it's being able to see people, but not actually to be able to be tactile. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I sort of first hand from 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 that is um, uh, my involvement with uh, Andy's Man Club. 
And I would always, um, when I kind of ran the Manchester club or version version of the club, um, I would stand outside from, we, we would start our meetings at, at, at seven. Um, I would be, I would be outside from 10 past six, welcoming everybody, welcoming everybody in and everyone got a handshake for those that I knew a bit better and I knew that I could get away with it. They got a hug. Um, and it, and it was that, that, that kind of built really strong bonds when it came to, um, when it came to that, when it came to that group and some of my friends now, some of my closest friends now I, I met through Andy's man club and, um, and to see them now and not be able to shake hands or give them a hug, knowing what they've been going through and, and the like, and, and the like, it's so difficult and you do miss that element of um of kind of closeness really i I suppose with 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 the guys and um i think it loses an aspect of um of a group like that as 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 strange as it probably sounds to a lot of people but when you lose that kind of personal aspect of being able to shake someone's hand give them a hug um as blokes like we miss, I think we miss that, and I think there's an element, a small element of that, that that misses that from the from from the group really, mm. in terms of feeling connected and part of part of a community. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's um it's it's a challenge, but look, something's better than nothing. And while that's only a small part of what that group offers, um, there's there's still a huge amount that that um that that it offers and 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 does a does a kind of a a lot of good. But it'll be nice when I can get back to giving everyone a hug when they turn up. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because, funny enough, I've I discovered the the book, the Love Languages book by Gary Chapman a number of years ago, and Mm. and one of the things in that is physical touch. And when I say physical touch, I don't mean like sexual physical touch, just like tactile physical touch. And it's amazing when you. it's amazing when guys study that book as like a book study or whatever generally Mm. most guys their love languages it'll be two you know two or three love languages but one of them is always it's generally always physical touch with guys got oft got most guys need kind of physical like physical connection sort of thing so it's interesting that you know people wouldn't think that but actually my experience of the love languages book would 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 suggest to me that most i would say probably over 80 percent of guys need to have that physical touch and uh either from you know relative or child or friend or whoever but have that tactile relationship which yeah 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 definitely i i think um going back to what we were saying before about people struggling as, as as well and um being virtual is I think people find a lot more difficult. Um, I think you have the added um, issues of isolation and loneliness, even if you live with your family, um, you can still very much feel isolated and, and, and lonely and um, support groups are fantastic and a huge advocate, obviously of, of uh, quite of, a few of them, but certainly with AMC is um, I, I think it becomes more difficult for people to open up and talk. Mm. um about it and feel connected and feel like they're part of something and feel like that um they're not alone and and that's difficult through both through a a computer screen but Mm. um 
but also, um, yeah, like, like we were saying before about the not being able to shake someone's hand, someone that turned up for Andy's Man Club for the very first time, they're nervous. You can see it in their face. They're nervous. They don't know what to expect. All these kind of bits and straight away, I'm, I'd make sure that it was either me or one of the other guys would be straight over to them, introduce yourself, shake hands with them because it's a, it's kind of that man thing to do, isn't it? It's like that old school bit of respect, make eye contact, we shake hands and you just feel like actually, I mean, I'm not alone here. I'm, there's people here that are in it with me mm-hmm. and, and that's, that can be more difficult um, for, for guys going through what, what we're all going situation but obviously we've all got different circumstances and we're all dealing with it differently as well yeah yeah and you talk about the guy sitting you know sitting in sitting waiting to go into andy's man's andy's man's club you were that guy at one point and this kind of segues (laughs) onto the sort of next part how did you end up sitting in your car outside andy's man's club for the first time gents i'm going to quickly jump in here because i have an exciting announcement If you've tuned in for any period of time or grabbed a copy of my book, The Dad Blueprint, you will be familiar with my journey and why I started Guild of Dads. I discuss how I struggled by myself for a long time before I had the good fortune to get around other men on a similar journey to me, which is when my life really changed for the better. Which is why I'm excited to announce that I've built my own community of men and dads called The Dad Circle which has just opened its doors and I'm looking for 20 men like you to become founder members at a special lifetime rate of just £40. But you'll need to get in now because once these spots are filled, the monthly subscription is £80 per month. So what do you get? A private members area. This is a bespoke area where you can set up a customised profile away from social media so you can link up with other men and share ideas, suggestions, insights and strategies to help you succeed, leaving you more time to focus on becoming the dad you always wanted to be. Weekly virtual Zoom sessions in which you'll have an opportunity to join others to discuss a monthly topic so you can share experiences and gain insight about yourself from the comfort of your own home. A copy of my ebook, The Dad Blueprint, This book takes you chapter and verse through my own journey, but also the secret system I used in order to radically change my life. This includes a proven 12-week method and shortcuts to systemize your development, so no more chaotically trying to change all by yourself. Weekly virtual team calls in which you'll share your wins and losses for the week and be held accountable for keeping to your objectives and tactics to achieve them so that your growth is supercharged from day one and you're no longer doing this all alone. There's recordings of calls. Dads can't be everywhere at once, so calls are recorded, meaning you can access content at your convenience anytime, at your own pace and not feel overwhelmed. Monthly topics mean that we will explore a different topic monthly, which means you get to grow, learn and build your knowledge of yourself and others in a supportive environment. There's going to be physical and mental challenges. Many of us are living in a comfort zone and can achieve far more than we think. By engaging in challenges, you're able to see beyond what you thought was possible for yourself and grow in confidence and accomplishment. The monthly assignments that you'll have to complete will get you thinking and acting differently about an element of your life which will improve your self-worth and confidence. 
There's gonna be a 12 week battle plan. This is a proven powerful system to help you identify where you want to go in life, how you'll get there, along with tracking resources. This means no more chaotically trying to improve here, there and everywhere. And with a growing resource library of videos, documents, templates and guides, this will help you succeed, learn and grow. The best bit, there's no contracts. If for any reason you find the dad circle is no longer for you, then you can leave at any time, no questions asked. If it's not for you, there's no, no obligation to stay. Want in? Lifetime member spots are filling fast. And once they are gone, that's it. To join, simply email me, joe, J-O-E, at guildofdads.com, and I will send you the details across. Well, funnily enough, we're, we're almost at, I'm just checking the date there. Um, we're, we're a couple of days away from my third anniversary. Um, is it third or second? Yeah, no, third. Must be. Se- second, sorry, anniversary. I'm, I'm losing track of time now. Um, of, um, of, of going to Andy's Man Club for the first time. So I, I suppose my... My story with regards to um, with regards to understanding my own mental health really originates. Um, I'm going to give you a very specific date now, which is the 19th of December 2015. And the reason why, a, why I know it was that date was it was the day my son was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was um, he was poorly when he was born. Um, so after an hour. He was taken. He was taken off us, and and taken to NICU, um, neonatal intensive care um, unit. And obviously, it was Christmas time, um, and and it was kind of weird. And, and I suppose even thinking about this, I've been thinking about this today, and, and I'll, I'll kind of go on to why in a, in a second. But the the first thing that didn't happen for me which I was told was guaranteed that would happen for me was when he was born and I had him in my arms. I didn't have any explosion of love. I didn't have any, Oh my God, this is kind of amazing. I didn't have that Eureka moment. This is what my whole life's about. I did not have that as everybody told me that I would do. So subconsciously, not consciously, but subconsciously, I think that that was a moment where my issues started. Then, like I said, after an hour, he was taken. He was taken off us, and um, I'll not go through kind of all the all the details. But um, for the first, he was in intensive care for about a week. He he kind of came out of that. He was in hospital for sort of ten days. Um, we got him out on on New Year's Eve. Um, sorry, on the on the thirtieth, not New Year's Eve, on the thirtieth. Um, and then the Monday after, I was in work. So I went back to I went back to work. I worked um, I worked about forty five minutes from an hour forty five minutes to an hour from home. So I left early in the morning to miss the traffic. I got home late at night to miss the traffic, and that was my job. And so I, I didn't spend that much time with him in the early days. And then, but for the first six months, he was in that hospital, um, having numerous different checks and 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 sort of various issues. And 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 every time he went in and had a check, he'd get the all clear. Now, for me, I could see everybody in the room, the visible relief um, that he's got the all clear. And I'd smile and say, that's brilliant because I wanted him to be better. Of course I did. But inside, I didn't feel any relief. 
Mm. And the reason being was I was literally bottling everything up. I thought my job as a guy, as a dad, first and foremost was to protect. Now, I felt like I'd failed in the very first hurdle because I've not been able to protect my son a tough start to his life with having to go to intensive care. So that straight away felt like I'd failed. And then everything, every challenge that he went through just reinforced that failure. Every time we were in the room and somebody said, he's got the all clear, he's all good with whatever it was that he was getting tested at the time. I'd look around everyone's relief. I'm not feeling any relief. I'm feeling guilt um, because I'm not feeling relief. Everyone else is happy and I'm just reinforcing that this is my fault. I failed him. Look what he's having to go through. He's a baby. I'm meant to protect him and look at and look at him. He's like having to go through this and nothing particularly invasive at the time once he got out of intensive care, but he was still going through that. His family, we, we were all going through that. And I was like, this is my fault. This is me. I must have done something when I was younger. I must have done something that was that bad that he's turned out this 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 way. And it's my fault. It's all down to it's all down to me. So I just felt guilt upon guilt upon guilt upon guilt. Gets good news. I feel guilty. Something bad happens. I feel guilty. Um, I pick him up and he cries. It's it's because I'm a bad dad. And I've, and then I feel guilty. And, and that really, I really struggled with the connection with him. I remember the health visitor come in and um, being asked to leave the room so that she could speak to his mum. And then when I came back in, so I'd gone and made a brew when I came back in, um, she was like, oh, do you want to go for a shower or do you want to do this or do that? Because she'd come at a weekend. And I'm going, well, not really. And she's like, go on, just, just go and go for a walk or go and, and it's like at no point did anyone go, how are you doing? Mm. Like, how, how are you? Are you okay? And, um, are you, are you coping as a, as a dad? And I would have turned around and said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But the truth was I wasn't. And my now ex-wife, like she, she saw all the signs that, that the fact that I wasn't coping, she didn't at one point, And she's, she's, she said um, to me since that um, she didn't trust to leave my son with me alone. And that was not because she thought I would hurt him, but because I really struggled with any sort of connection with him. Mm. And she saw that I was really, I wasn't picking up on any of the clues he was giving. I was just not connected with him. So she didn't feel comfortable in leaving me alone. The amount of times that I remember that they, they kind of, she said, Oh, I'll, I'll go to my mum's and you can have a bit of time on your, on your own on say like a Saturday morning. Like at the time I was really grateful for it because I felt so uncomfortable being in the company of my own son. And it's kind of like, I look back now going, I'm away with work like I'm I'm not seeing I'm not spending any time with my son during the week then on a Saturday morning I'm relieved because I'm not having to spend time with my son I've always wanted to be a dad always want to be a dad and I look back at it now and I think like I'm screaming for help on the inside but I don't know it and nobody else knows it Mm. and nobody else knows how to, to kind of help me because the only people that are kind of realizing it are those that are close to me. So there's no medical professionals here that, that are doing that. And and then as t- kind of time went on, I, I started sort of turning to negative coping strategies. My alcohol intake rose massively. 
um, went from having a few beers at the weekend to having a couple on a Tuesday because I'd had a bad day, having a couple on a Wednesday because I'd had a good day, having a couple on a Thursday because the day ended in Y. It was really kind of got into that kind of stage where I was probably drinking every every day um, off the off the back of it, and um, and then I remember going out and with one of my friends in Manchester. I met him after a work. It was a bit impromptu, really, and I, I kind of messaged home and said, "Oh, I'm just going for a couple of beers with 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 my mate." And um, we went out and we just ended up having a bit of a crazy night, um, long night. And and then I was walking to get the uh, the train home, which would which would have been the first train home in the morning as well um, from being in Manchester City Centre for, for, for the night. And um, and I walked down um, and by Victoria Station in Manchester, there's um, there's a tram that comes up the hill mm-hmm. to Stude Hill. Um, into the centre as I'm walking down from Shude Hill I'm walking down and um, there's a tram coming up and the, the, the thought just it was instinctive the thought just I looked at that tram and said I need to to myself I was just started walking towards it and thought I'm I'm failing everybody here but everyone would be better off without me my son would be better off without me my my wife I suppose now we're ex-wife uh, she probably is but um but the, the, that would be it the impact that I'm having on the world is nothing but negative and mm. the best thing that I can do the most kind of gracious thing and the most selfless thing I can do for everybody is is just not be here because I'm just a burden and luckily for me um I didn't see them but there was a, a couple of uh, sort of probably late teenagers uh, early 20s um group that had obviously been drinking out drinking as well um a couple of them saw what I was doing and ran literally ran over to grab hold of me before the the tram got there um and um what I didn't realize at the time because I thought how how did you notice that because I thought I was being stealthy and <laughs> it's, it's quite a, <laughs> yeah well it's quite a well lit it's quite a well lit street and and, and they kind of said one of them said the first thing I noticed is that you're crying your eyes out hmm. and I put two and two together I didn't even realize I was crying I, I just did not did not realize that that that, that I was and, and and that was kind of so that was I suppose that was my in a, in a way that the kind of first attempt at, at taking my taking my own life and over the next eighteen months um, I saw medical I got medical help mm-hmm. um, I, I saw a counselor but the counselor was you got six sessions um, it took me five and a half sessions to understand what was the issue i.e. the relationship with my son. So I had about half a session to kind of deal with it. And then it was kind of, thanks for coming. Good luck. And, and off you go. If you want to come back, then you have to rejoin the um, rejoin the waiting list, which was about a year at the time. Um, and over the next 18 months, I made two more attempts at, at my life. Um, and then on the, the 6th of January um, 2018, um, the Saturday, um, was the last time that I attempted, um, I attempted my life. And that's where on the 8th of January to a very long winded answer to your question, I find myself sat in a car at Oldham Leisure Center where Andy's man club in Oldham was based, um, nice and early. And initially I went there because I was told to, 
Um, my ex-wife told me to go because she didn't know what else to do with me. So, mm. um, and she wanted me around for, for obviously for our son. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I kind of sat there and someone actually knocked on the window and said, are you here for Andy's Man Club? And even though all the ledge centres got every facility going, I couldn't think of another reason why I was there. And I, I went into that went into that room and felt like I wasn't alone anymore. Mm. And I used the term before, but it gave me hope within 10, 15, 20 minutes of being in that room, sat in a circle with strangers at a leisure centre in Oldham. They gave me hope that A, I could be a good dad and B, I could get better. Mm. And then that's where the story, I suppose, starts for me. Really, it goes full. It goes full circle. And in terms of that sort of period after you'd, you know, you'd sort of feel, you know, you're feeling numb and you're not connected, connecting with your son, and and your mental health begins to deteriorate. Were you given like a diagnosis or anything for what that was, or did the doctors just say you're depressed, or what was what was their kind of diagnosis of what you were actually going through at that point so at the first point so the first time i went to the doctors over it was the day after um i walked in front of or went to walk in front of the tram um and to be fair the doctor um bless him um asked what i did for a job where i worked and asked how i got to work so i'll get the train into manchester and his comment was well no wonder you're depressed so I was like, right, okay, mate, I've just told you that I've tried to take my own life and you're coming up with really bad crash jokes mm. kind of thing. So you don't kind of get this. And and he just went, right, okay, um, what what medication do you want? What antidepressants do you want? I was like, I've no idea. Like, I've, like I don't know, you tell me. Mm. What do I need? What do I need to take? And he's like, well, you've got these options. Okay, well, what are the side effects? One of the side effects on this, and I remember him suggesting, right? I think why don't you try this one? Okay, not a problem. What's what's the side of what's the side effect of it? One of the, one of the side effects is it can make you suicidal. I was like, don't necessarily think that's probably a good thing, since I already am. Um, and and it was just kind of a flippant, blase way of of kind of here's some pills. I've done my job. Kind of crack on, and then. Um, I went back to the doctors and saw a different doctor and she was amazing. I broke down in, in, in her office room, whatever, whatever you kind of call it. And I literally broke down and explained, tried to explain everything, not knowing how to. And, and she was the start in terms of the medical and they, they kind of said, look, you, you've, you're obviously suffering from depression. Um, and, and at no point was it mentioned there in terms of postnatal depression. It was mm. just said it was it was said it was depression. It was only through my own research and talking to other people and, and people like Mark and understanding well, what caused my symptoms, what caused, what started it off, what what were the effects of it, where where did it, what were the influences of it, and all these kind of things. It's like like it's and then speaking to medical professionals subsequently and explaining these kind of things it's all the hallmarks of postnatal depression but at the time it was never spoke about in dads it's rarely spoke about in dads now um although a lot of that is changing um and um so so yeah so subsequently i was diagnosed as postnatal depression um but yeah at the time it was what tablets do you want Mm. and did you end up going on to tablets in the end or did you go without or because there's various some some people were kind of like oh you don't need 
there's it's such a polarizing debra- debate around antidepressants yeah. and I, I always kind of I always t- kind of like the view that people when people say well actually you kind of if you need to take them for a period of time you need to take them for a period of time but don't be too proud to say I need to I, I might need to take these for a yeah. period of time how did you sort of were you a kind of what I, was your I was reluctant yeah, no, I was, I was reluctant to go on to them purely because I don't like taking tablets. Mm. Um, I don't take para- I don't take paracetamol if I've got the worst headache in the world. Um, I'm, I'm just that sort of person. I don't necessarily like putting um, don't like putting Medicaid. I don't I'm not a huge fan of, of of that. So that was probably the, the the main reason why I didn't want to, but I needed to at that time, if for no other reason from. Uh, even if it had a 1% improvement on it, but from a placebo point of view, I thought it made a 50% improvement, then that to me was, was good enough. And, um, I ended up my, um, my, my second attempt was, was an overdose with antidepressants and paracetamol, um, ironically enough, um, after, after what I've, what I've just said. And I came off them then because of the, it was dangerous for, for me to be on tablets when, mm. when, when I'd gone through that. And I've thought a lot about this debate, um, as you, as you, as you, as you mentioned there with regards to antidepressants. And I think, I don't think anyone should be shamed into a taking them or b not taking them. Um, I see both sides of the argument. I think my thing would be if you're on antidepressants for a significant length of time. So if you're on antidepressants for two years, three years, five years, 10 years, then something's wrong. Like you are not making changes to your life that will help your mental health. You're relying on tablets to, to, to kind of do that. And look, there's exceptions to every rule. And, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say like as a gen, a general kind of blanket approach. But I think if you, if you were sort of similar to me, you suffered from symptoms of depression, so, well, severe symptoms of, of depression. But to me, my life was wrong. I didn't talk about how I felt. I didn't open up how, about how I felt. I lived an unhealthy lifestyle. And you change, you change all that. And look, I still have bad days. Of course I do. Everybody does. That's, that's kind of life. But if I was sat here now, my son's five, he turned five in December. If I was sat here still taking antidepressants, then to me, like I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My life is imbalanced and I think it's almost an ignorance. And I, I get what you're saying in terms of uh, people thinking that, that people are really proud to take antidepressants. Well, be proud to take antidepressants if you're taking them for three months and you're working away of how can you sustain your life after you start taking tablets. Don't be proud if you're taking antidepressants five years down the line mm. and you're shouting out saying, I couldn't live without them because there's something wrong in, in my in my opinion nowhere else would you take um tablets in in that respect for something that you can you can manage when you wake up in the morning you don't have a headache you don't take paracetamol mm. so why why are we becoming dependent five years down the line if you're just suffering from symptoms of depression because there's loads of ways in which you can get you can improve. Um, you can improve that. I really like Johan Hari's book about lo- called Lost Connections, which talks about actually the impact of, of antidepressants compared to the impact of having eight hours sleep or having the impact of feeling part of a community or having 
having that 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 kind of thing. I always use the example they use in the books of the slums in India. We look at the slums, and I mentioned it when when we spoke last time. And I'm really passionate about this because I'm really intrigued by it. We look at it from a Western point of view. We look at the slums in India, and we think, "Oh my God, I'm, I feel so sorry for these people. They've got nothing. They've look at how they're living, all this kind of stuff. They have zero depression. They have zero mental health issues in the slums in India." We're the ones doing something wrong, not them. Yeah. And it's interesting. So if you are celebrating being on antidepressants after five years, which I've seen today, actually, on really? Twitter, if you're celebrating that, to me, you're doing something wrong. Mm. Mm. You're doing something wrong. What else can you do in your life to improve your life so that you don't need to? It's scary coming off them. It's, it really is scary coming off them. And I get it. But there's, there's other ways in doing it. Are you doing everything that you can? Are you eating healthily? Are you sleeping well? Are you doing exercise? Are you practicing gratitude? Are you doing meditation if meditation works for you? Mm. Are you talking about how you're feeling to friends, family, support groups, whatever that, that may be? Are you doing all these things before just saying, well, it's all right because I just take this pill and I feel, I feel okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing is as well is I know from my discussions with you as well that you're fascinated by understanding the inner workings of your mind and learn, you know, we touched upon this early on in the discussion today, this idea of being aware of starting to kind of be aware of, you know, what makes you tick, what are your things that need to be your non-negotiables that you need to be, to be doing on a daily basis. And, uh, and I think the thing is, is we, as a culture, I think we've got into this whole idea of, taking a pill to fix stuff and that it, rather than actually saying well what why do i need to take that pill in the you know and i know that, that some doctors are beginning to kind of be a bit more receptive to should we say more homeopathic ways of treating the mind and body connection stuff but i still think there is this tendency to say well actually this let's treat a pill with a pill if you know what I mean so yeah you know so so if someone's you know if someone's eating too much we'll give them a pill to stop them from eating too much so actually why why not deal with the root causes of why they're eating too much rather than just giving another pill to stop them eating overeating you know what I mean and it's stop masking this stop masking the symptoms mm, yeah and and that's all it that's that's all it if I drink 10 beers tonight I'll have a headache tomorrow morning. I can guarantee it. Probably if I have five beers tonight, I'll have a headache tomorrow morning. So if I took a paracetamol, then that would get rid of the headache. And then tomorrow night, I'll drink five more beers. The next day I'll wake up, I'll have a headache, I'll take a paracetamol. And if I continue to do that, then I'll be able to go through my day without headaches. But I'll always start a day with a headache. Mm. Whereas if I just stop drinking, or if I stop drinking those five beers, I'll wake up the next morning, I won't have a headache. Yeah. Kind of thing, but so in 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 a mental health point of view, if I'm doing something that's unhealthy, if I constantly eat junk food, um, and and then that's going to have a negative effect on my. If I'm overweight, if I feel I'm going to feel sluggish, I'm going to feel lethargic, I'm not going to feel very motivated, then that's going to have a negative impact on my on my mental health. If I can't exercise from a personal point of view, if I can't exercise, that has a really big impact on on my on my mental health on. I decided I was going to do run every day in January. And on the second, I pulled a calf strain doing a run. And normally that would send me into a spiral. And I, But 
I, I, I spoke to, um, I spoke to Steph and said, this is what happens. This, this is what sends me out. And she was like, what can you do? And I got in touch with the gym I'm a member of. And they said, we'll lend you a kettlebell and we'll give you a program for upper body workouts. We're just using that kettlebell. You won't even need to worry about your calf muscle within a half an hour of car, doing a calf strain. I've spoken about how I feel. I understand that this is normally a big trigger for me and my poor mental health going forward. I've got in touch with the gym. They very kindly have lent me a kettlebell. And within two hours of actually pulling the calf strain, I'm doing enough of body workout using a kettlebell. I'm finishing the workout. I'm feeling great. Mm, yeah. Off the back off the back of it. Whereas if this was last year or the year before or the year before that, a year before that, I'd I, w- I would literally just say, oh, I've got a fridge full of beer. I'll, I'll go and get a beer. I've got a car strain. I'm in pain. I'd be grumpy. I wouldn't be very particularly, be very nice to be around. I'd drink. I'd use all these negative coping strategies. I wouldn't be bothered cooking. So I'd say to Steph, oh, well, let's get a pizza in or let's get some takeaway or whatever it kind of is. So I'd eat junk food. I'd drink alcohol all because I've got a car strain. Yeah. It's a spiral, it doesn't stop you it? working your upper body, does it? No. And one thing I love to uh, I, I say to some of the, some some of the guys that I've worked with in the past is four words: What can I do? And this and it's a really effective way, and it's another you know really good tool that people listening or watching this can take away. So you've made a plan to do something, and this and what you've just said, Dan, illustrates this. You've made a plan to do something. It doesn't go quite to plan and you're stopped from doing it or or you've had to change plans quickly mm. what can i do it might not be what mm. you wanted to do it might not be what you'd plan to do but what can yeah. you do what can you do so like in your case if you if you've got a calf strain can i do an upper body workout yeah i broke my i broke my finger the other month okay so i can't do lifting for four weeks what body weight exercises can i do and it, but yeah. you, you can apply this to any anything Oh shit! I missed the bus. What can I do? Oh, I don't know. If I've got to get to appointment urgently, I'll get. I'll, I'll look at my phone yeah. and I'll get a taxi. You know, and um, and and it's this constant. And I think those four words, "What can I do?" are such powerful words, particularly again, yeah. again at the minute because we're constant. We're, at the minute, we're making so many changes very quickly, and it's not the way we want it to be. So what? Ca- so yeah. what can I do? And I, I had an example of it this week. You know, my daughter's school shut she's not she said to me oh what am i going to do for pe i said we'll go out we'll go can you can you go for a run with dad twice a week she's like yeah i'd like to run in the woods okay it's going to be slippy in the woods because it's all muddy and stuff i said i'll make you a deal you you do two weeks of running in the woods and if you can keep it up for two weeks i'll get you a, a pair of um you know, off-road trainer sort of thing, which, yeah. will be, which will be better sort of thing. So all of a sudden it's kind of, like, okay, What it, it moves from what can I do to um, creating a solution to it and stuff. And then it yeah. kind of gamifies it a little bit and stuff. And so, and it's, once you move from that position of what can I do, then it kind of opens up other possibilities as to what well, can yeah. I gamify this here or couldn't we do something, you know, mix it up and that. And I think that's going to be the key for a lot of parents actually in the next little while is kind of like, well, I can't do it the way I wanted to do it. What you know? How am I? How, how am I going to do it? And whatever and stuff. And even support where I just yeah. said to her, I said, "Look, I'll stick a note on Google Classrooms and say this is what." And I'll send a message to your teacher. This is what we've done for PE. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to hammer you for your homework for PE. Don't worry. 
Dad's already yeah. taken you out for a couple of a couple of runs this week. That part yeah. of it sorted, you know what I mean? So, and I yeah. think, and I think, as parents, I think sometimes we're scared of rocking the boats with school sometimes a little bit, and actually thinking, well, actually, you know, your the kids at the minute they're at home in your domain. If you if you decide that you mm. PE is going to be this or design and technology is going to be making yeah. something out in the shed, doesn't really matter because they're still doing it, um, you know. And I think we've got the opportunity as parents, um, if if our kids are at home with us, is we've got the we've got the opportunity to teach them the things that we've always want or that we've always wanted schools to to teach them, but haven't been able to maybe because they haven't got the right facilities or the right training or the right environment. I know during the the first lockdown, a, a friend of mine, he's um, he's big into the environment. Um, and he lives in North Wales, beautiful part of the world, um, loads of outdoor space and things like that. So he would quite often, his two daughters are in primary school and they quite like going out. They're, they're, they're quite outdoorsy people, as um, outdoorsy girls as, as well. And they took the opposite. They made the decision that, do you know what? We'll do the essentials. So we'll do your maths and your English and your science and things like that. But do you know what? Every day we're going to go and spend two hours exploring nature we're going to go and see what animals we can see we can go and see what we'll learn about birds or plants or the we're going to learn about the environment we're going to learn about resilience we're going to learn about all these different like really strong things that we should be teaching our kids like the 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 environment resilience mental health these are the things that our kids need to be getting involved in now because these are the things that are going to have the biggest impact on their lives going forward as they become as they become adults. And it's so important, isn't it, that now we've got the opportunity, like you said there, what could be better for you and your daughter than going for a run in the woods? I can imagine that's going to be amazing fun. Mm. That's going to be so much fun. And you know what? If it is slippy and one of you falls over, you probably have a, a good laugh about it as well, wouldn't you? And if you yeah. get some new trainers at it, it's win-win. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just that, it, but it's getting that eye into that mindset of just pivot. It's the pivot mindset, isn't it? What can I do? And just constantly yeah. moving. Let's adjust, let's adjust. And it's kind of so. Military guys are really good at this kind of stuff because they know that no no uh, plan survives first contact with the enemy, as my old band used to yeah. say. Uh, meaning that you're always going to have to be changing stuff on, you know, on flipping it on a sixpence sort of thing. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Amazing. It's been a Amazing wicked, it's been a wicked conversation uh, tonight, Dan, and we've we've covered quite a lot of actually some really good and useful tactics. I think that people that are watching or listening can take away and use really helpful stuff. Um, and you, your ability to kind of recount how it's kind of related to your sort of story coming up till now and sharing your story has been really, really, really spot on because I think it it's opened up. The kind of conversation again about you know what we all go through as dads and you know the, yeah. the, the situation that we find ourselves in becoming new parents is a completely different thing and you know my previous conversation with Mark you know really kind of blew the lid off this whole kind of perinatal discussion and yeah. I think the conversation with you as well is a is a really nice kind of juncture to see how it works from both perspectives of a, a couple of different guys uh who are working in this space and active in this space around dad's mental health so 
Yeah, and me and Mark have, well, I'll not announce it, but I don't know whether he said it, but we, we've had some exciting news, actually. There's a, a project that me and Mark are working on together um, today as well. So I've been on the phone to him at least twice, if not three times today. <laughs> so it's interesting that that, that you've... Um, You've got us at the at the end of the uh, at the end of the day, um, yeah. just all one after one after another, Joe. But no, I've loved it. I, I really appreciate the um, the invite to, uh, to to come on. It's uh, I always enjoy uh, I always enjoy our chats and um, follow follow you avidly, as you well know on uh, on, on on social media. So uh, it's good to uh, it's good to get this recorded. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And if you uh, like, I said to Mark, if you guys need any help from me in terms of conversations on your new projects and stuff just give me a uh, give me a shout as always i'm happy to do that and stuff and what i'll do is i'll link up annie's man's club uh in the show notes and stuff so if anyone wants to find out about this it's across northern towns more isn't it than more so than down south in it or one of the good things that's come out of lockdown is there's now a national online um so I, I don't know whether the majority of your your um followers are but we are everywhere from we're as, as far south as plymouth and as far north as dundee oh, um so while there is a significant number of clubs that are across the rugby league heartland of the m62 <laughs> um we, we we have a club in south wales we have a club in peterborough um we have four or five clubs that are based in in devon um, and a, a whole host up in Scotland as as, as well. So we are UK wide. We are growing um, quite rapidly. But like I said, one of the good things is we, we now have the national online one. So no matter where you are, um, you can you j- just drop an email into info at andysmanclub.co.uk. They'll send you the, the the link out. It's every Monday night, seven till nine. All right, excellent, super. One last Amazing. question I'm going to ask you before you, I send you on your way, and it won't surprise you, this one. What is it in life that gives you meaning, Dan? Um, this is something that I think about almost daily um, around that, and um, I annoy Steph, um, who's who's just come in um, uh, ju- just now from a, from a shift, bless her. Um, constantly about asking what hers is and things along those lines. Um, the, the, the biggest thing that, that gives me meaning is um, is it, just making a difference. It's making a difference to people's lives. It's making a difference to my son's life. Um, making a difference to to my uh, to Steph's life, my friends, my family, those that are closest um, to me. But but also the the, the wider community of hoping that by me talking about the sort of stuff that we've talked about today that somebody might take one person if one person takes one thing from our conversation that benefits their life then for me that's the meaning of making an impact and and that's what it is it's not making an impact on my bank balance it's not making an impact on the type of holidays i can go on or the size of my house or the size of my car or anything along those lines it's making that those deep impact of of improving people's lives by sharing experience and and discussing some of the tools that I've used that have worked and and sharing platforms like like the one that you've got from Joe. Excellent. What's yours, Excellent. by the way? Excellent. My uh, people always bounce that one back to me. My <laughs> my um, what I find meaningful is just is is sim not dissimilar to sharing the experience of what I've been through. And helping other guys through what I know and what I'm learning on a daily basis, essentially. So if mm. if if what I've 
learn or if the information that I've that I've gleaned in these 41 almost 42 years on this kind of planet are going to help other dads in their journey and um, and help them to kind of navigate the difficulties that dads inevitably are going to face then you know if it's just one person that I'm going to that I'm going to help then that is going to you know, that is that is kind of what gives gives me meaning is is making a difference and making a difference to other dads lives and mm. and helping them to really just understand themselves more really i think that my my kind of work my passion if you like probably more than anything now is really understand helping guys to understand more about themselves and go on that kind mm. of journey within themselves because i think that I think society now has prompted us to externalize everything. And, yeah. and I think that the more we can kind of understand ourselves, what makes us tick, um, understand our own minds, how our minds react, what works for us, what doesn't work for us. I think that just puts us on such a better footing. And, and, and my thing has always been, sometimes people will often say, well, we in in the sphere we are operating, and we'll often say, "Well, why don't you talk about women's health?" Or why don't you? Say? And and I think my kind of passion, if you like, is that I deeply believe that men firing on all cylinders, particularly dads firing on all cylinders, benefits everyone. It benefits their wives. It benefits their children. It benefits the impact that they can make on society. You know guys that are kind of struggling are not going to be showing up as the dads they want to be. They're not going to be showing yeah. up as the husbands that they want to be and the relatives that they want to be. And they're not going to be making the impacts they want to be because they're going to, they're not going to have the confidence and the, and the, and the self-worth and the understanding about themselves to, to do those things because it's, they're, they're going to be firing on not all of their cylinders and, yeah. you know, dads and and men firing all cinders benefits everyone and that is that is my deep down belief and i think that the more the more the work i do that can help that is going to be is going to be better you know on a societal level i've got no illusions of being a politician because i don't think that i don't think that i can make the necessary impact i want to by doing that i think that doing what i'm doing is going to impact more people as I yeah. want to, than kind of than kind of getting into any kind of kind of public office or anything. <laughs> that would be a big ask in our lifetime to do that. <laughs> I think it's having that ability to have a deep impact on somebody rather than a superficial impact on a lot of people. And mm. I, I think that's the the determining factor for, for for me. I the people I have an impact on, I want to see their their progress because that's what is fulfilling. Mm. Um, if you were to have a superficial impact on say a thousand people, then a, you're not having as much of an impact on those thousand people anyway. It's only really superficial, but for you, you're not seeing that the benefit that their lives are having Mm. so that how can that be fulfilling in a, in a, in a way as well. So, yeah. And I think there's, I think there's an uncompetitive element to it as well, because I think we all hold back information 
these days where we sort of like, oh, I won't tell someone that because it will seem like I'm a know-all, know-it-all. Or I won't yeah. tell someone that because they could use it against me or they can use it to compete against me. And I had something that happened today and and if I know something that's going to help someone, I'm going to tell them that. Okay, if they've read that book already or if they've got that piece of information already, then they're going to tell me that they've got that piece of information. If they haven't, then it's... it. If they haven't got that piece of information, then it could be the bit of information that just completely yeah. turns things around for them. And a prime example of that happened to today on my on my mastermind group a few of we had we had a thread going as to what books we'd read and the untethered soul by michael asinger comes up i've listened to it on audiobook a couple of the other guys had and um all of a sudden a guy's posted today and he said i listened to i listened to the untethered soul it's amazing i want to i'm going to listen to it right back from the beginning again all right yeah yeah, if we hadn't had that conversation, if we hadn't had the post, if we hadn't sort of just start discussing it, he would have never known about that book. And it's just little things like that, you know, yeah. that, that begin to kind of have a, like a kind of snowball yeah. effect. And he'll probably say to someone, you know, when they're going through something, he'll say, look, have you listened to Check this? Out this? Check out this. It's going to change the way you think. And then that person will listen to it. It will change the way they think. And this is, Amazing. and that's what I love about kind of what we do. You know, we're all sharing and collaborating and, sharing information yes. and stuff all the time. And, you know, if someone gets just a tiny little nugget or a little bit, something that's going to, you know, make them, help give them a turning point or give them a bit of an edge or give them a bit of self-knowledge yeah. about themselves that they didn't really know, that's probably one of the, th as, as well as seeing someone's life change, I think that um, exchanging those ideas and information and stuff I think yeah. that, I think that's probably the second most kind of meaningful thing that comes out of this really that when you start talking about the ideas um they start to have impact. Yeah. Amazing. And that Good is stuff. It. I'm going to wrap it up Good on effect. that note mate. <laughs> Great stuff mate. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. All right, no worries. My name you go. Catch Cheers up. Dan. Catch up soon. Cheers Joe. man. Thanks mate. Bye. <laughs> Thank you to Dan Rowe for talking to me today and sharing his experience and insight with me. You can catch Dan over on Instagram and Twitter along with the group he's part of, Andy's Man Club. Also keep an eye out for his new podcast that's upcoming. Reach out to him, ping him a message. He would love to hear from you if, you, if anything that we discussed resonated with you. I'll link all this up in the show notes over along with all the other stuff we discussed at guildofdads.com. So... To today's episode, if there's one thing I took away and I want you to really reflect on is your own self-care and whether you have other men and dads around you. So many dads I see looking after their mental health as an afterthought. Like jumping out of a parachute and working out how you'll get a parachute on the way down until that is, you hit the earth with a bump. This doesn't need to be complicated. It can be a simple toolkit of things you know you need on a daily basis to keep you feeling solid in yourself. And also knowing that if you don't feel great, you have tools at your disposal and a group of other guys you can talk to about it. Making this investment in yourself will be the best thing you ever do. 
There's also a video of this interview over on the Guild of Dads YouTube channel and you can link up with me over on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook using the handle at Guild of Dads. Let me know what you thought about this episode. If there's anything that resonated with you in particular, shoot me a message or even email me at joe at guildofdads.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'm teaching you how to follow a simple system and plan, just like many of my guests, in order to transform all areas of your life so that you can live more purposefully with much greater fulfillment and meaning. At the same time as becoming the dad and man you always wanted to be. It's all in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint. You can grab it free at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. In order to have a positive impact on the world, we improve ourselves and inspire others. The fee for this show is that you share it with others so that they may benefit from anything you find useful or interesting. If you know someone that could do with improving their relationship, a life rethink or different perspective, share this episode with them. The best bit? You don't have to tell them why you're sharing it with them, but it could be just what they need to hear. Hopefully, you find something insightful in every episode, so share with Dad you know. In the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning. Apply what you hear and we'll see you next time.